0: Tonight is study number 6 of Revelation chapter 12. And we're going to be reading Revelation 12, verses 4 and 5. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God, into his throne. Now uh, we've been looking at this passage in our last few studies, and we've seen that Satan who is called a great red dragon, typified as having seven heads and ten horns and crowns upon his heads, is the one who is prepared to devour and the word devour here in verse four is the same word that is used in the parable of the sower when the seed is devoured. And, uh, and of course, that's Satan's activity too. When the gospel, the word of God is sown upon the hearts of men, he comes along and devours the seed. He takes away that which was sown. And, It's also the word translated as devoured in Luke 15's parable of the prodigal son, where it said that he had devoured his living with harlots. So it's a wasting, it's a destroying, a removing, like the seed, a removing of whatever is in view. And Satan was ready, he was prepared to devour her child, the woman, who is a picture of the elect, the Old Testament saints of God, as God is giving this figure that she is as the one bringing forth the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And there is Satan ready to oppose, to hinder, to come against God and God's purposes in his kingdom and to devour the child. He, he wants to destroy the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, in the first part of verse 4, it says, "...and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth." This is the, the dragon's tail, the great red dragon and his tail. And, of course, again, the dragon is representative of Satan. And his tail, when we get words like this in the Bible... We have learned, uh, by God's grace, as he has taught us, how to study the Bible to look elsewhere and see how else the word tale is used and, and see if there is a, a particular verse that helps define it, to define it in the sense of giving us the spiritual meaning of tale. And when we do that, when we go to our Strong's Concordance and look up all the places tail is found, we find a very helpful verse in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9 and verse 15, it says, The ancient and honorable, he is the head. And the prophet that teacheth lies, he is the tail. The tail is a figure of a false prophet, a prophet that teaches lies, is a false prophet. And that goes perfectly with the idea of the dragon's tail. As Satan has his emissaries uh, who come as angels of light, they come speaking the word of God, declaring this is what the Bible says, or "Or this is what the law of God says in the Old Testament, And it is his tail that draws the third part of the stars of heaven. That is, Satan uses his ability to draw unsaved people who are associated with the kingdom of God or or that outward representation of God's kingdom on the earth. In in the New Testament age, it was the church. But in the Old Testament age, it was national Israel. They were the corporate body. Just as we commonly look to the church when, when we think of God's representation, when we think of uh, those that God has used, because for nearly 2,000 years, God did use the churches. But in the Old Testament... It was not the church. The church hadn't even come into existence. It was Israel that had been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. Israel that was the caretakers of the oracles of God. Israel, where the true believers would be found. They would they would be a part of Israel. Now, sometimes there would be others that God saved um, occasionally from another nation, like Ruth the Moabitess. Or name in the Syrian, but those people would come into contact with Israel. And it would be fairly rare that people from these Gentile nations would be saved. Primarily, God was working through Israel. Israel was where the truth was. It's where God's Word was. And, and God concentrated the focus of His Word within Israel. And giving it to the prophets for them to declare to Israel, and and so that's also where Satan would concentrate his efforts to pervert those within Israel. He would attempt to have individuals enter the priesthood or or rise in the ranks of spiritual authority within national israel just as he did with the churches he he worked with individuals that went into the seminary and, and then became pastors or elders or deacons and he infiltrated the churches and congregations until they became a synagogue of satan a church of satan a church given over to falsehood a church that believed the lie rather than the truth and and Satan um, was doing nothing new, really. This verse is telling us here in Revelation 12:4, when he did go against the New Testament churches and and sought to turn them from the truth uh, into believing the lie, he he had been doing that with Israel for quite a long time, for centuries. It's why. Uh, God brought so many judgments upon Israel because they kept being led astray, led to idolatry, to worshiping other gods, which is basically the same thing the churches did when they also went after other doctrines and other gospels. It, it's spiritually the same thing. Well, here, again in Revelation twelve four, his tale, the dragon's tale which would be false prophets those and, and were there false prophets in Israel just read the book of Jeremiah and and you'll read about all kinds of false prophets the true prophet was a rarity like Jeremiah that uh, there were numerous false prophets in Israel we uh, when we read the history of Israel they greatly outnumbered the actual Faithful, true prophets of Jehovah—they—they uh, they sometimes outnumbered them four hundred to one or eight hundred to one—that uh, they were so numerous, and—and and that was Satan's activity within Israel. And here his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. So the working of Satan in Israel again. This is not the church, not yet because Christ has not yet been born. This is the uh, Old Testament church, as God does call Israel the church in the wilderness. and In Acts chapter 7, he uses that same uh, Greek word that he'll apply to the New Testament churches. So as far as God's concerned, it's a very similar thing. They were his corporate body. They were the external representation of the kingdom of God on earth to the people of the world of the Old Testament. That's exactly what the New Testament churches became. So it's a very similar thing. And so God uses similar language that we're very familiar with concerning the church. For instance, drawing the third part of the stars of heaven and casting them to the ground. Oh, remember... When we studied Revelation chapter 8, God brought judgment on the third part repeatedly. Again and again, the third part of the stars, the third part of the moon, the third part of the sun. The third part was was under the wrath of God. And we saw that uh, God was using that phrase, the third part, because his elector identified as the third part. And they were in the church and, and closely identified with the New Testament churches. Therefore the church took upon itself that identification and, and God was judging the third part, not his elect. No, he would never do that except in Christ and they were already judged. And, and now of course today we've learned we also have to add that God is making manifest a judgment upon his elect from the foundation of the world, uh, as the true believers live in the world in the day of judgment, going through this period of time. But it's not an actual judgment upon them because they've already been judged. It's just a manifestation. It's a demonstration of the judgment they've already experienced. But um, the third part came under judgment, in Revelation eight, when God began judgment at the house of God, the beginning of the great tribulation, at the end of the church age, and and so the third part actually is a term we get from the Old Testament. If you remember back in Zechariah chapter thirteen, in Zechariah thirteen, it says in um, verse eight. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith Jehovah, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third, but the third shall be left therein, and I will bring the third part through the fire. And, and here the third part, uh, clearly is picturing the true believers. Verse nine goes on to emphasize that it's not the corporate body there. But it is the Old Testament and God is speaking of his people that are identified as the third part. Uh, so when when we read of the third part here in Revelation twelve, it can only refer not to the true believers, not to the elect, but to Israel, which also had identification with the true believers because the, the child of God who is elect was part of Israel and, and the Israelites that were unsaved were a part of Israel. Both were national Israel. And, and so national Israel took upon itself the identification of the third part just like the church did. And, and since the tail of the dragon is drawing the third part of the stars of heaven, and casting them to the earth, its language indicating the light of the truth of the word of God in the Old Testament is being put out. The light of God's people, the, the truth they possess within Israel, they're losing sight of. And uh, uh, we, we can see that a little bit because we don't have too much information concerning uh, Israel in the time before Christ's birth just a little bit of information they were in cohorts with king herod that that uh raises flags right there that uh they they were troubled remember when herod found out uh, of the birth of the messiah um let's read the verse in Matthew 2 and verse 3 when herod the king had heard these things he was troubled and all jerusalem with him we can understand why uh, the wicked king herod would be troubled but why was jerusalem troubled hadn't they been uh, longing for and expecting the coming of the messiah hadn't they been hoping and and desiring of god that uh, that one day in their lifetime he would come well yes that's what they said That's what they mouthed. That was the words that they would have spoken. But their heart was a different manner. They were unsaved men primarily. And they didn't want the Messiah to come. They didn't want God to uh, enter into the world in their lifetime and change everything. Just look at what happens when the Lord Jesus begins his period of ministry as an adult. And, and he goes forth and does all those mighty miracles before Israel. And notice the reaction of the rulers of Israel, those in authority. They, they didn't welcome him with open arms. They didn't praise God then, seeing the blind, uh, see and the deaf hear and the lame walk and the dead raised up and the lepers cleansed. No, none of that, uh, impacted them. In a positive way. They were troubled by it still. Why? Because they had their system of religion. They had everything in order with their traditions of the fathers and the way they wanted things. They were very happy running their religion just as they were. And this was certainly upsetting everything and They were afraid that the Romans would come and take away their place. And, of course, that was only an excuse, anything, not to listen to Christ, to get rid of him, to basically have him devoured, to have him out of their way. And it's really a striking parallel with the New Testament church of our day. That was... Um, Of course, the coming of Christ and Israel's reaction to him was concerning his first coming. But Jesus had promised to come again. And when the Bible, which is the word of God, opens up information as God said he would do, seal up the word he said to Daniel until the time of the end, and then knowledge will increase. And many more scriptures indicate God will reveal information concerning the coming of the Lord. As Jesus answered the disciples' question, what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? The Bible answers those questions and gives us the time for the day of judgment, for the the judgment on the church, the judgment on the world, and, and so forth. A, a whole biblical calendar of history unfolds before our eyes because we happen to be living at the time of the end when God wants His people to know these things. And what is the reaction of the church? The church that is supposedly longing for the coming of the Lord. Oh, He can come any day oh yes that that's what they say and they so want him to come they they greatly desire his coming just like the jews desired the coming of the messiah oh how they would have gone on and and told you in in great detail of their longings and and their their uh, oh their heart's desire is just for the messiah to come and then he comes And we see what the truth is. We see what was really in their heart. None of them wanted the Messiah to come and upset their apple cart. And likewise, when God opens the scriptures to reveal the coming of the Lord, May 21, 2011, Judgment Day, the Lord is coming. There is much biblical evidence he will come as a judge. All the church was troubled. Oh, no, no, we, we we don't look into those things. There was a strong negative reaction as if they didn't actually want Christ to come, as if they were not happy about it at all. It, it was very obvious they, they were disturbed by the thought that Christ would come because the church is full of unsaved people. And unsaved people do not want God to come in judgment. Uh, this is severely troubling to an unsaved individual. They, it's the last thing they want. And it's the last thing the church actually wants. The church of our day wants to maintain business as usual. Day after day after day after day. Let's just keep this, uh, business going of maintaining uh, mouthing words that we're longing for a coming Christ, but of course we never really want Him to come and ruin everything and to take away our life that we enjoy so much of this world. It it is hypocrisy of Israel of old and of the Church of our present time. Now they they do not speak the words that are in their heart, but they they say things that, of course, sound good, and uh, lots of praise to God, and yet God is completely out of the picture, and they want him out of the world. They do not want him to come at all. Well, Satan, uh, the great red dragon, drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and even the word stars identifies with true believers. Actually, we can go to many verses, but let's go to Daniel Chapter 12, Daniel 12, and it says in verse 3, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. True believers are consistently referred to as stars in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. And again, Due to association and identification through dwelling together for long periods, centuries in Israel of old and, and the wheat and the tares growing together in the New Testament church, the, the, the church as well as Israel can take upon itself the same kind of language. And, and so again, this relates to those within Israel who identify with true believers, and they're the third part of the stars of heaven, and they're cast to the earth. They're, they're cast down to the ground. They, they no longer are shining as lights within Israel. And then it goes on to say, at the end of verse 4, And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And there is Satan eagerly waiting, anticipating to get his hands on this child. Oh, we can better believe that that was the only thing on his mind. It was long promised. And and Satan had probably been preparing and waiting for quite a while. When would it come? And and now was the time, after 11,000 years of history, 11,006 years, in the year 7 BC, the man-child, the Lord of Heaven, eternal God, had entered into a virgin's womb conceived by the Holy Spirit and was growing in Mary just like any other child would Uh, being formed and knitted together with a human body. And then came the day of his birth, birth into the world. And we see, for instance, in uh, Luke chapter 2, that this same word delivered uh, at the end of verse 4, which was ready to be delivered, is found in Luke 2. And we can clearly see the, the man-child, Christ, being born in Luke 2, verse 6 and 7. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And that's the same word. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And then in verse 11, For unto you is born... The word born is a translation of the same word delivered, the, the same Greek word. "Front unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Christ is delivered. He is born. The, the anointed one, the Messiah, has has finally come. And in Matthew chapter 2... Um, We basically read a historical narrative that pictures exactly the things that we are seeing in Revelation 12. In Matthew 2, verse 1, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel." Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. But of course Herod was lying, and we read in verse 13 of Matthew 2, And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard lamentation and weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. Uh, Herod had children, little children killed, two years old and under, in his attempt, this is a true historical event that we just read, in his attempt to devour the man-child, to destroy the child that was born. He, uh, of course, was troubled that this one was called King of the Jews and he was king, supposedly, or well the Romans had set him up as a puppet king and in his pride and arrogance he wanted um, no other king, and really foolish we can see that yet yet God allowed that to happen to illustrate Satan's great desire to destroy the Messiah. To devour the child, it it portrays the evil lust of Satan to rule over the Lord Jesus, to be God himself. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over Pal Talk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone.